What's up, everybody? Billy Ray Mitchell here on the pre-roll. Couple of notes, couple of notes coming at you right before uh, we recorded this podcast early, 7 o'clock, still drinking my coffee. And some breaking news. We had to make sure we got you the information that you need. Tracy Clays and Coach Daryl Trapp will both be back for the game this week. Uh, we'll be on the sideline, which is really exciting. Matei Sis, with some post-pod research here, wants to make sure that you have the correct facts and all the information that you need. Since Virginia Tech's game against Duke in 2019, Virginia Tech has gone 7-3, and three, and Duke has lost 8 of their last 9. Not great. Uh, aside from that, check out what we have going up on the website we got some great pieces by Robert Irby, Mike McDaniel. You're going to get your your video content, which is going to be great. The locks of Saturday are getting after it and just some fantastic stuff. Uh, I want to shout out to everybody over there. And looking forward for some football on Saturday. Without further ado, here is the 555 followed by a Duke preview podcast. <laughs> The wonderful sound of a Thursday morning in the fall. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the earliest we've ever recorded a podcast. It is 7.51 a.m. Thursday, October 1st, and we have a little game preview here. little game preview. We brought on Matei from 24-7 Sports. We got Pat and Billy right here. We're excited to talk about this Duke game here on Saturday, but first... We got to give a shout out to the Main Street Pharmacy. Listen, man. Yes. Listen. I know we can't go down to Blacksburg, but when I get down there, or what? I, so I'm going this weekend. I'm 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 playing some golf with some friends. Am I stopping in and saying hi to Jeremy and seeing him smile at me underneath his mask? Absolutely. Jeremy counts and his friendly staff, the best pharmacy in Virginia, best in the NRV. They will greet you with a smile. They will take care of all of your COVID-19 necessities. Fill a prescription. You know, go get some Cheez-Its. Whatever you want to get at the pharmacy, Jeremy has got it. Head on down there today because when you go to the Main Street Pharmacy, you are not a number. You're a neighbor. Smiley face. So here's my hooky haiku for this week. The Fighting Cutcliffs. Revenge is best served ice cold. Good luck scoring points. That's it. What do we what do we think into the haiku this morning? I thought that was fantastic. Very good job, Pat Finn. And we want to welcome. We have a we have a our good friend Matei Sis from 24-7 joining us this morning. How are things at where are you, by the way? You're like a traveling Wilbury. You've been everywhere. Yeah. Yeah, I was I was back in New York for a week uh, celebrating the grandpa's 98th birthday. So it was an absolute oh, pleasure seeing him and, uh, you know, celebrating my own birthday as well, which was very nice. And now I'm back in Arlington, Virginia, and just kind of getting back into the groove of things. 
Look at that. We are excited to be joined by Matei. Every time Matei comes on, it's a banger. So we're excited here. Little quick game preview. And we start off with a Hokey Haiku. Hokey Haiku, HH. Now we're going to do Hokey History, HH. Maybe we see some HH under center over uh, on uh, Saturday. Who knows? Hendon Hooker, get well soon. Pat, hit us with some Hokey History ahead of this Duke game. All right, everybody. So... The Virginia Tech Hokies, the Blue Dube Levels, Blue Devils. Oh, man. We've, uh, we've played 27 times. Uh, and Virginia Tech has won 17 of those games. Duke has taken 10 of those, actually. Duke has won three of the last four games played in Lane Stadium, which is kind of a crazy thought. Um, they, they beat us in 2019. Obviously, who could forget? He just in 2015 uh, in multiple overtimes on homecoming and then uh, 2013 as well. Kendall Fuller had three interceptions that game. Um, but Duke was a foe that uh, between 1982 and 2012, so a 30-year span, we reeled off 12 straight against Duke. And honestly, we should never lose to this team. They have a great coach and they have great academics, but they are not a football school. You know, you'll see their fans complaining for traveling and uh, double dribbles out there all night. We should always beat this Duke team. But, uh, yeah, let, let's jump into the uh, the time capsule here. Obviously, we know that Coach Fu has dominated the state of North Carolina aside from that last game last year uh, of 2019. It was the – I think it was the last week of September – Got the drive for 25 going on. We're two and one. Uh, we had played Boston College. We played ODU and Furman and really had not proven anything. We're kind of nervous. And and we go ahead and I know um, Brian Willis may have been injured and it was you know non-disclosed. We got the all whites. We got Friday night, ACC Network, big time game. Atmosphere was great. The whiteout, don't love a whiteout, to be honest. I am not a whiteout guy. I don't think... We can ever do the whiteout as good as, you know, a Penn State would do it. Um, But we just, you know, came out pretty flat on both ends of the ball. And before you know it, we're turning it over. Duke is running the ball down our throat. They're doing trick plays on us. Uh, David Cutcliffe is running the score up, doing fake punts up, you know, three or four touchdowns, you know, with eight minutes left in the game. It was just an absolute disaster. And I remember walking out of that stadium – you know, feeling at the lowest point that that I have ever felt as a Virginia Tech fan. I remember walking up the steps, like saying, "Like this is the lowest point." And then, you know, some older gentleman is like, "Well, you weren't here in 1987 <laughs> <laughs> or whatever it was." But um, I just remember getting on this podcast. This is like our our second ever podcast, and we were just in full on meltdown mode. Like, what do we do here? Like, do we even have a football team anymore? What's going on? Definitely a low point. So I, I see that revenge factor uh, playing a major part in this game as well. Um, I know we had a lot of recruits in the building that night as well. Yeah. So, Matei, I'm interested to ask you this. Um, you talk with the recruits. Recruits are coming up for game day. Obviously, the environment was unbelievable. Uh, a lot of the recruits after game day talk about the environment, win, loss, or draw. Um, I will disagree with you on, on that, Pat. I did think the whiteout looked good. It just left a sour taste in my mouth in the way that it came out. But I'm interested, what kind of conversations did you have with recruits 
after a showing like that, do they care about the score? Are they upset with the score? Do they just talk about the environment? How did that go? You know, it really depends on which recruits you talk to. I would say for a vast majority, a lot of them aren't too concerned about one game. And a lot of the guys that were in the building really enjoyed the atmosphere. And the way I think about it is, if you win on the football field, it acts as a multiplier for everything else. You get to see the post-game celebrations in the locker room, get a sneak peek of all the excitement. All the coaches are happy. Um, but, you know, that Duke game in particular, I mean, Old Dominion was bad. Duke was worse. And, uh, you know, just seeing the emotions from the coaching staff and, and the players and some of the guys, you know, wanting to give up right then and there, I think that definitely played a factor in some of the recruits, you know, going long-term. So you never want to make one game bigger than it really is, but that was definitely a bad one. And you could tell it definitely set the tone for a lot of recruitments that cycle. Yeah. That's a little surprising. I mean, a lot of people were the biggest thing that was on Twitter and the biggest thing everybody was saying was how negative that was for recruiting. Um, as you look back though, in the game, do a little revisionist history it seems that, that the, the biggest thing that that game was was completely changed the course of the 2019 season. So definitely a huge part of the Coach Fuente era and everything that has gone down here in the last 12 months. Let's talk a little bit about our COVID update, Pat. Why don't you kick us off with what, uh, with what we're hearing? Uh, I guess just to – I guess I can kick it off. I guess the first thing that comes to mind is are we going to see some Hendon Hooker here on Saturday? We talked about it earlier. Uh, post game, Coach Fuente said uh, he didn't commit. He was non-committal, um, but he he sounded optimistic. Um, so interested to see if we do see some Hendon Hooker. I would lean towards thinking we're going to see. Or no, I'm gonna I'm just gonna say we're gonna see more than one quarterback here on Saturday. That's gonna be my uh, that's gonna be my thing on the game. But who else are we looking for, Pat? Jermaine Waller. It sounds like we're optimistic about Waller's return. I know he had been nursing an injury um, heading into fall camp, and we saw some great play from from uh, from Breon Murray this past weekend. Uh, you know, showing up big with an interception. Um, but we definitely need to get Waller game ready um, as we prepare for Carolina. Uh, you know, not to, not to look ahead. Everyone to look ahead, but um, we're going to need him on the field against Carolina and Sam Howell on that uh, dynamic offense. Coach Ham and Tracy Clays, at least, you know, from doing some math here, if Coach Ham had tested positive or, you know, been contact traced on last Saturday morning, that means he was tested Friday morning with the 24-hour turnaround. So, uh, you know, a, a positive test is 10 days from last Friday, which would have him back by next Wednesday-ish. A, um a contact trace would have him back by the following, or I guess the, uh, the Friday after. So if he is contact traced, he's likely missing the Carolina game or no. If he was contact traced, he can play. He can, he can coach the Carolina game because it would be that following Friday. It would be two weeks, but all signs are pointing at coach Hamilton, not being on the sidelines this weekend uh, at Duke. On that, Pat, I just wanted to mention, shout out to Coach Smith for doing a fantastic job last week. Um, obviously named the top defensive coordinator in the country, which I thought was really, really cool. Still under 30 years old, 
uh, just a few years older than us, um, but doing a fantastic job. Just keep in the back of everyone's head, defense is reactionary. Um, so, yes, we do want to get Coach Hamilton back as much as we can, but just keep in the back of your head that a lot of defense, when a certain set comes out or it's a certain situation, the plays are usually, I don't want to say predetermined, but um, it's not as much looking at a huge sheet and just picking one out, whereas you're more so reacting to what you're seeing in the game time situation. Yeah, and off of that, um, a couple other players that are going to be uh, a focal point of are they going to be available for Saturday uh, that I think of are both Keyshawn King and Oscar Shadley as well, uh, knowing that Enzo was out there and we, you know, we definitely had to dig pretty deep uh, for our long snappery. Thankfully we're, we are extremely deep uh, at the running back position. Um, But yeah, I mean, it's COVID-19. Every single ACC game is going to be an absolute battle. I saw an article from the Charlotte observer kind of highlighting some of the teams in the coastal um, that have been hampered by conditioning because they didn't get spring practice and they didn't get to work out and train all summer, and they didn't get a fall, you know, a real fall camp because so many guys are in and out, in and out, you know, or you get all of fall camp, and then a week before the game, you test positive, and all of a sudden, you're taking a couple steps back. Um, so, it's, you know, so many guys not practicing, not in game shape, roster management is going to become so key this entire season, um, you know, because teams might not even be in game shape in, you know, November just because of how, uh, how much of a variance is placed on this uh, with roster management and, and COVID. So definitely going to be interesting to see as we, uh, we roll into the season here. On that note, Pat, um, Coach Cutliffe put out a quote this week on his team's conditioning. He said, well, I think it's the biggest off-field concern. We have a limited amount of time. We've done some running conditioning, but what I've told our coaches is that we need to condition every minute, every drill at practice and do what, and to do that, we've got to make sure they're resting well and getting enough sleep. Look again, I like coach Cutcliffe. I'm a coach Cutcliffe. I wouldn't say a fan, but I definitely admire his success. That was one of my worries coming into our first game, NC state. This is Duke's third football game. Um, figure it out. Like this is your, this is, this is going to be your third football game. Virginia tech did not show any signs of conditioning issues. They handled their business as coach Hilgart likes to say all the time. You don't need to get ready if you stay ready. So shout out to the conditioning team and the football team for ensuring that we are in game shape. Matei, we're going to talk about the Duke offense. Last week I called the Virginia Duke game. The Barnes and Noble Bowl. That is what we did call it. And I heard we were talking on the phone yesterday that you enjoy like to go back and watch some, you know, game rewinds, watch some uh, watch some condensed games on the couch. That's like that's what Matei's doing in the fall. If it's fall time, Matei's watching condensed games. What have you seen out of the Duke Blue Devils offense? So the blue, the Duke Blue Devils offense, they run what's called the pistol, but they don't really have any weapons. They have Chase Bryce at quarterback, Clemson grad transfer, and he was supposed to come in and kind of be the next man up for Coach Cut, the quarterback whisperer, and, you know, he's thrown two touchdowns to six interceptions. They don't really have a semblance of a running game. Um, they have Deion Jackson and Mateo Durant. Uh, two capable running backs, but you know this entire offense is 
is built around the offensive line and they're just not protecting the quarterback or making gaps for the running backs to run behind. And because of that, Chase Bryce is just throwing up prayers and hoping that his guys can make catches. And it, it just looks like right now, Duke can't get it going, whether it's a passing game or running game. Um, so I think it's going to be a big day for this Virginia Tech defense and and see uh, a little bit of Justice Reed go against what I think might be the worst tandem of offensive tackles in the ACC. Seven turnovers. Seven turnovers last week for the Duke Blue Devils. Not fantastic. Not fantastic there. Uh, Pat, what else have you seen in your scouting of the Duke offense? Yeah, I'm definitely going to piggyback on top of Matei there. Um, I rewatched the Duke UVA game last night against my will here. And uh, <laughs> an extremely porous offensive line. They can't get the running game going at all. They finished with, um, if you include the sack yardage, uh, like 54 rushing yards last week at UVA. And uh, in addition to that, they can't really capitalize on good field position. They, they, um, they kicked it off to UVA. UVA fumbled on the kickoff. They got it on the 20 and, you know, they, they just crawled along and, you know, weren't able to punch it in, uh, ended up scoring a field goal on the first possession after stalling in the red zone. Um, they do have a couple athletes on offense um, that do deserve uh, some type of attention. Uh, Nolan Gray is a tight end uh, who is definitely an impact player. Um, Jake Marquini, I think that's the way that you mm. say his name, Marquini. <laughs> uh, he also made some nice plays last week. They actually they spread the ball around um, among their offense pretty efficiently. I think I saw eight, nine, ten different guys uh, had receptions against UVA. Um, but yeah, can't run the ball. And Chase Bryce just made so many mistakes. It was just like, I see so much opportunity here. Matei was kind of roasting those tackles. Bill, what do you think about him? Yeah, I mean, they did return four out of five starters on the offensive line. The tackles are not awesome. But it's going to be interesting. Last year, I was reading David Hale's write-up. Shout out David Hale. He said that Duke really struggled to stretch the ball down the field, which still seems to be an issue for, uh, for Duke. So that's definitely something to keep an eye on. Um, but let's move it on over to the Duke defense. Matei. The Couch Chronicles, the Condensed Game Chronicles. What are you seeing out of Duke's defense? So I actually really feel bad for Duke's defense. I think they're <laughs> actually a really good unit. Um, obviously, a lot of people know Chris Rumpf, uh, you know, potential first-round pick in next year's draft, and Victor Demukaje, uh, one-time Virginia Tech target. But those two guys on the defensive line are, are really factors in the passing game. Obviously, you know, we'll get to this, but if Virginia Tech just keeps running, you kind of neutralize those guys or you hope to. Uh, and Rumpf is a guy that they kind of line up all over the defensive line. He can kind of play as like a 3-4 a outside linebacker at times and play stand-up and kind of go all over the defensive line. Uh, you know, great, great name team at the linebacker position with Shaka Hayward and Rocky Shelton, uh, two guys that you know, are, are pretty solid for their four two five defense. Um, but the biggest thing is their secondary. I mean, they have some talent there, but Mark Gilbert, Josh Blackwell are both out for this game. They're starting cornerbacks. So it's going to be oh, interesting man. to see if uh, Virginia Tech wants to 
you know, test those younger cornerbacks, those second stringers out there. But, you know, overall, I think this is a really good defense that has kept them in all three games, late into all three games. Um, but, you know, it, it comes to a certain time when your offense is just getting off the field or, or you know, committing turnovers. And this defense seems to, to let up late in games. Virginia definitely aimed to attack Duke's secondary. They threw the ball 47 times. Yes, 47 times Virginia threw the ball. Uh, I hear they have like Steve Young in, in, uh, at Virginia playing, playing quarterback. At least that's what the rumor, rumor mill is telling me. Uh, face palm from Matei here for those who can't see it. Uh, they ran for 188 yards. Yes, the University of Virginia ran for 188 yards in the Barnes and Noble Bowl. And five-point yards per play. 5.4 yards per play. And as you mentioned, great names on the defense. A pretty solid defense, but here are just some notes that I noticed. The defensive line is tiny. The defensive end, Victor Dimakuje, is 6'3", 265. Drew Jordan, 6'3", 270. And then their tackles, Ben Fry, 6'3", 255. Derek Tangelo, 6'2", 310. So not a very big defensive line. The linebackers, a solid unit, but a young unit. Shaka Hayward is a redshirt sophomore. His backup is Christian Hood. He's a freshman. And then their other linebacker, Rocky Shelton, is a redshirt sophomore backed up by another freshman in Dorian Mousy. Um, so a very, I'd say, an experienced and tiny group over on defense. Um, and get, definitely going to be an opportunity to throw the football around. Pat, I know you wanted to see that uh, moving forward here. So excited about that. In matchups that we like, matchups that we like. Matei, this is the first time we're doing this. What matchup do you like? I mean, there's a bunch, if I'm going to be honest. And, uh, <laughs> you know, a lot of them come from the, you know, the Virginia Tech offense against their defense. I think there's several ways uh, that you can attack this defense. But, um, you know, I'll, I'll go with uh, wide receivers against their cornerbacks simply because – in that NC State game, we didn't get to see too much wide receiver action. Uh, so, you know, I'm kind of putting it out there. So maybe we see a bit more, even though the game plan will be relatively similar. I'm excited to see whoever is playing quarterback to sling the ball around the field. That's going to be really exciting. I'm going to go with the matchup that I will likely go with every single week after uh, last week's performances and my prediction that we did put a video out. I'm going to take our offensive line over the defensive line. Our offensive line is dominant. I know that Coach Weiss has been showing uh, has been showing the fake punt, has been showing everything going on. And I think that's an entire team thing. Like you saw the team – usually the team is, has not been very outspoken uh, with the media, but we're very transparent in saying, look, we're angry about how things have happened. We just can't wait to get out there, play football. The dudes were excited. The dudes were aggressive. Um, I think this is one of those games where that's where that's going to come out even more so than it did against NC State. Um, they've waited a long, long time to play this football game, and as you mentioned, Pat, last year, just not a fun time to be wearing to be wearing the all whites. So um, I'm really excited to see the guys respond. I'm really excited to see our offense um, maybe do some different things. So that's going to be absolutely awesome. Pat, talk to me about some matchups that we don't love or we're at least unsure of uh i guess i can just say every week i'm gonna i'm gonna say i don't know who's available i, I don't know who's unavailable that's really it, it's gonna be like that the whole season so that would be my uh my one add on there 
Yeah, uh, just from last week, we shut them down in all aspects of the game. But kind of like a, an un, untalked about stat is that our running game, a uh, run defense, I should say, gave up 170 yards to the NC State backs. And they had very talented backs. Um, but definitely want to emphasize that depth is going to be very important here. Again, you know, guys are going to get cycled in, cycled out, um, you know, I remember in the second quarter, I saw Max Philpot and Zion DeBose running around. Uh, Zion DeBose was running around with number 13 on. I was like, wait, I know we're down 23 players. Is Jalen Holston playing defense? And then I was like, wait, never mind. Holston changed his number to zero. And Holston had a fantastic game, uh, you know, churning the clock down towards the end of the game there. But um, yeah, definitely want to make sure that we're. Um, you know, able to cycle guys in and have depth um, on the front seven. And then additionally, when Devin Leary came in, he was kind of able to expose our secondary a little bit as well. Um, so again, this is where Jermaine Waller, if Waller is available, we can definitely kind of close that gap right there. Um, but those are just two things I'd like to see some improvement on uh, as well. Matei, anything, uh, anything that you're thinking as far as uh, matchup wise, you're just looking to see that you're not sure about? Yeah, I mean, you, you pretty much covered it, I think. You know, obviously, seeing Max Philpot in the first quarter, you'd love to see uh, Deshaun Crawford if he's, uh, you know, getting better from his knee injury or uh, Jermaine Waller from his ankle injury. Um, but just, you know, the, the offensive line, I think, you know, they did a lot of rotating, um, just making sure all those guys are healthy. Obviously, they want to give a lot of reps to those guys and keep them well conditioned so you know just moving forward if they're able to continue to play you know seven to eight offensive linemen I think you'll see the the classic Virginia Tech offense that we saw last week um so you know just again fingers crossed that all these guys are well conditioned and healthy so I gotta ask a question before we move to our next segment um love Jalen Holston big fan of Jalen Holston glad he's back on the field the number zero is giving me serious, like, starting pitcher wearing a single-digit vibes. I don't love the number zero. I would love – just real quick around the horn how we feel about number zero. Go ahead, Matej. So I think it's one of those things that, you know, there's certain numbers like Tremaine Edmonds for me. When he wore 49, I hated it at first. I thought it was such an ugly number. But if you look good – while wearing it, it grows on you. And now I can't see Tremaine in any other number. So like zero, I think you got to put in a few good performances. It'll grow on you. Right now, seeing zero, we've never seen it in any other season. It, it just looks awkward. But I think it, you need to give it a little time to season. It's like a fine wine. Okay. All right. Pat, what is your what, – what about – what, what's up with the zero? I'm having, uh, I'm having flashbacks to former Hokie basketball player Jeff Allen, who wore zero – uh, in the late 2000s. Uh, when I think of this, I think Jalen Holston, we didn't give out this award last week, but if we could have given this award out, it would have been for most improved player year over year. Uh, I think he had a terrific game uh, in, in the amount of carries that he received later in the game against NC State. Um, but I know that he was on the verge of transferring at one point, and then he put his head down and worked and worked and worked, got through his injuries, um, and then you know came out and played very well uh, on Saturday. So I think the zero thing is kind of 
it's kind of like a motivator, like a chip on his shoulder. Uh, he's looking to get out there and, and prove a point. And he's done it so far. And quite frankly, I really want to see him get some more carries uh, against Duke on Saturday. So that's my take on, uh, on Agent Zero, uh, Mr. Jalen. Pat, look at what an, um, what an unbelievable rundown. Agent Zero, new nickname for Jalen Holston. We also have a new segment. And Pat said this on the phone the other day. And he said, I smile in the face of danger. And I was like, whoa. That's got to be a segment, but I don't know exactly how to work it in. So we're going to see if this makes any sense. I couldn't think of like a cool name for like quotes that you saw over the week or bulletin board material or stuff on social media. So I just said, let's run with I smile in the face of danger. So shout out to the Lion King. Shout out to Elton John. Saturday night's all right. Shout out to the Lion King. And this is also brought to you by the Chesapeake Center for Complete Dentistry. John Cran, look, I don't. I know this is kind of mean on its face, but some of y'all need some teeth whitening. If you need teeth whitening, head on over to John Cran. You get 50% off of the teeth bleaching, which is 50%, 50% off of your teeth bleaching needs. If you tell them that the Sons of Saturday sent you, the Cran Cam is back. It is in full effect. We are excited about that. Shout out to John Cran and the whole Cran fam. Um, but without further ado, I smile in the face of danger. Virginia Tech coaches scrolling down the timeline. OxVT puts out the fake punt. They're like, I'm retweeting that. I want everybody to see that. So the, head, the coaches were retweeting the Duke fake punt. A little bit of a grin in the face of danger. So that is my I am smiling in the face of danger. I got a couple here. Um, Breon Murray was quoted speaking about Chase Bryce. He says – I think someone asked him, like, you know, what do you think of his play so far, having four interceptions last week? He says, I see it as an opportunity for us to make plays. You know, he's not backing down. This defense has a chip on their shoulder as well. And they're definitely going to make some plays on Saturday. And then um, this is kind of like just like uh, not even I I smile in the face of danger, but kind of just like an attitude that they have. Uh, Bronk Hoffman was described by, I believe it was Lasita Smith, He's like, he's aggressive, he's mean, he's nasty. And uh, the refs had to ask our O-line several times to, you know, uh, I guess stop going so hard after the whistle uh, on Saturday. Got Brock in the locker room with Stogie. This team, this offensive line, smiles in the face of danger as well. Um, so that's awesome. And then we want to, we want to get into a, a segment. What do we want to see? What do we want to see this weekend? Maybe something that we haven't seen yet. Um, or, or something that we want to continue seeing for me, it's the run game again. I know I have been talking about, you know, opening up the passing game, but I think against Duke where we should definitely kind of keep our cards close to our chest here with Carolina on the horizon, uh, really want to see how effective, um, both Blackshear and Herbert can be early in the game. And then would really like to see Jalen Holston, Marco Lee, if he's available, and Keyshawn King, if he's available, maybe Taj Gary as well. Um, maybe some of the freshmen get some carries late in the game, see what they have, show their stuff. You got a, a big group of guys to run behind. So I uh, would love to see uh, some of these guys in the running back room uh, get out there who haven't been able to stunt their stuff yet. Continued domination on the line of scrimmage. Continued 
great shots like we saw. You guys love the picture of Hooker and uh, Quincy on the bench. I love that group. I love how together they are. You saw Braxton and Quincy took a picture in the locker room post game. I just love that room. I love the talent that we have. I love the leadership that's uh, come out of that room. And just watching Quincy grow up between before our eyes, which we watched Hendon do last year. Um, so I'm really excited to see that. Um, and some dominate, dominant offensive line. I can't say it enough. Just dominant, dominant, dominant offensive line and domination of the line of scrimmage. Matei, take us home with that. Yeah, I mean, I, I want to see a little bit more Raheem Blackshear. Obviously, we heard a lot of praise in the offseason about, you know, how effective he was, maybe seeing him a bit more in the slot. Uh, and Khalil Herbert. I mean, you know, he only had six carries last week. Um, both guys recently came back to practice later on in the week. Uh, and then played on Saturday. Now you're giving them a full week of actually practicing. Let's see what those guys can do. We're going to do some letters from the lunch pail and then some score predictions, and then we can start our work days here. Um, so the first letter from the lunch pail comes from Karsten. Karsten. He says, okay. He says, do you miss being in Lane Stadium more or slapping your Crocs on in the morning in preparation for a game day? I do love my camo Crocs, but look, there's something about fall weather in Blacksburg, watching those leaves, making the long walk to the stadium, whether it's the press box or North End Zone, wherever it is, uh, and just admiring a game inside that cauldron of chaos. But, um, you know, I, I really do miss it. And, uh, you know, it, it's definitely a weird feeling knowing that I'm going to be watching every game from the TV. I saw T. Higgins said on the Cincinnati Bengals Snapchat story yesterday, they asked him, where's the toughest place that you played in college? And he said, outside of my home stadium of Clemson, definitely Virginia Tech. That place got really loud. So that was kind of cool. Uh, shout out T. Higgins. Uh, and then a, a question that I submitted I've seen an edit, uh, an image edit flying around um, on it with, I believe it was Justice Reed, Mario Kendricks, uh, Narelle Pollard, and then Keonta Jenkins, all of them walking uh, into the tunnel together. And it says Florida to VT. Who are some of the Florida to VT players that we should be watching out for in this next recruiting cycle after having these four guys who are just impact players already, um, you know, from this first game? There's going to be a lot. And, uh, you know, in regards to the offer lists, you know, 24-7 sports does a pretty good job of maintaining it. So I wouldn't say it's 100% accurate, but as of now, there's 26 offers out for 2022 in Florida. There's 25 in Virginia. So Florida is by far the most offered state. Um, and, you know, pretty much the entire IMG Academy has an offer right now a guy I'm looking at who has high interest in uh, Virginia Tech at the present moment is Dalen Everett, uh, four-star cornerback. Obviously, a lot of DBs um, from all over the country are, are witnessing DBU traditions at Virginia Tech. He's a guy that, you know, really resonates with Ryan Smith. And, you know, I'm, I'm interested to see if, you know, he's going to spurn some big SEC schools, maybe some in-state programs, and make the trek up to Blacksburg. I love to hear that, Matei. 
And we will get you back on on a non uh, a non game preview podcast in the future here to talk a little bit of recruiting. Um, so definitely excited for any updates that we have there. Bringing us home here, score predictions. DraftKing Bill signed in this morning. Minus ten and a half is the line. Over under is fifty four. Fifty four points. So Pat, what are you thinking for a score prediction? All right. Here we go. I'm very confident, guys. I am extremely confident. Do not take this as gambling advice, but just take it from me. First of all, their defensive line is so poor. We are going to be uh, creating trouble all day for Chase Bryce. He's going to make mistakes. After watching that game review yesterday, you know that he's going to be throwing some picks. You know that we're going to be sacking him. He's probably going to be fumbling too, uh, just from applying uh, so much pressure. And then as far as us establishing the run game, if we enjoyed the rushing attack last week, I have a great feeling we're going to enjoy it again. As I said before, would love to see some of those uh, guys in the depth chart get out there. Love this feeling of going into the Duke game not worried. I am so confident. Hammer the Hokies. 51 to 10, 50 burgers of Saturday. Take the over, take the Hokies to cover because uh, we're going to score early. We're going to score often and uh, we're going to get to see some of our, um, some of our depth uh, showcase themselves in the third and fourth quarter as well. Billy. I'm fired up. Uh, I'm definitely super confident. Uh, One thing to look out for. I'm interested to see if we do see Chris Catter, Catternick or Gunnar Holm. Uh, if they do make a change at quarterback after uh, a poor, uh, a poor, we'll just call it a poor performance last week. Um, I think the Hokies will dominate this football game. I just think by the nature of how we've played um, that we will see a lot of running the ball. So I think it might be tough to get to 50. So I went with 42-17 Hokies. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, it's going to be interesting. Duke is definitely a very desperate team right now. But it doesn't matter how desperate you are. I think at the end of the day, they're still not very good. Um, so we'll see what kind of changes they make. Um, but starting 0-3 is definitely not ideal for them. And I think they're losing a lot of confidence uh, playing a team or going into a game against a team like Virginia Tech. Um, I was going to say 42-17, but I can't, I, can't do, I can't do identical predictions. I'm going 40-14 to Virginia Tech maybe a little scoregami going on. Okay. And, uh, I just want to, you know, maybe a little poetic justice, maybe Oscar Bradburn with a little fake pun attempt. Haven't seen it yet. Give coming. the people what they want. <laughs> <laughs> See what kind of wheels Oscar has. So to bring us home, shout outs. And before uh, Matei, we're going to let you take us home with shout outs. But Pat, you do have one shout out to the Hokie Club. Who is making the Hokie Club cool again? Shout out to the Hokie Club. Yeah, I, got I actually have a few quick ones. We'll ramble here real quick. Uh, the revenge factor, I also wanted to say, there, the revenge factor is not put on the Vegas line, and we lost by five touchdowns at home. It was our worst loss at home in 30 years. Revenge factor. Uh, so put that in your memory bank here uh, before you make your Vegas predictions. Shout out to Coffee. Uh, That's I know exactly it's what Vegas wants you to do is do that, just letting you know. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to Coffee, doing our first little early morning podcast. Uh, you can tell we're a little groggy here and there, so shout out to, to Starbucks. Uh, and then, yeah, Hokie Club is doing pledge a dollar amount per touchdown. That was put out uh, a couple days ago, and that is awesome. Be careful if you want to pledge, you know, five bucks per touchdown. I don't know, you might be out 
250 bucks by the end of the season. No, Main Street <laughs> Pharmacy is doing $10 per touchdown. Let's go. Get on board with that. Let's go, Hokies. Matei, any shout-outs? Yeah, guys. Uh, Shout-out to you guys. You know, this is my fourth time on here. Always grateful. Always such a great time. Um, I did promise a shout-out. Tyler Fitzgerald, best walk-on huddle I've ever seen. Um, and I think that's two weeks or two episodes in a row he's gone to that, shout-out. I was about to say he's got two episode shout-outs in a row. Look at that. Hell yeah, Tyler. Not bad. Not bad. I was just going to say, Pat – you're right. Don't take the gambling advice. Vegas does not want you to factor in the revenge factor. So if you are gambling on the game, take the heart out of it. Take the way you feel out of it and take your love for the hoax out of it. But I do think the hoax <laughs> will handle business. So I'll be hammering the hoax too. Regardless, <laughs> have a great weekend. We're excited to talk to you soon. And breaking news, if you don't follow us on social media, Bud Foster is coming on the podcast on Sunday. <laughs> <laughs>